you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, socially distancing and masking when and where possible. And fantasy camp is starting to draw to a close. We have gone through six divisions, so you can do the math. Eight minus six, that leaves two. So we've got one today, and we will wrap it up on Thursday. Uh, big thanks to all the guests who have come through and helped me out with this project uh, so far this offseason. We have two more that I'm very excited to talk about today. I say that every time, but I mean it every time. Like Every time I have two guests that I'm very excited to talk about. So uh, we will get to them in just a bit as we talk about the NFC South today. Uh, but before I do that, I want to talk to my faithful producer, senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. Murph, what's new where you are? Uh, this weekend, I went up to uh, Big Bear, east of Big Bear, rather, just to you know escape LA, get out in the wilderness. But uh, unfortunately, did not see any uh, bears, so I feel like it was kind of a disappointment. <laughs> have, you know what? I've been to Big Bear multiple times. I have never seen a bear. I have stayed in a a small town next to Big Bear called Fawn Skin, and I didn't see mm-hmm. any fawns or their skins. <laughs> 
Um, so I feel like I've been sold a bill of goods every that's time. It I- sounds like a class action lawsuit against Big Bear. That's <laughs> uh, a really good point, too. There's so many signs say, like, deer crossing, no deers. Yet. The only thing I did see were um, a ton of chipmunks, just a, a massive amount all over. That's it. Wow. It should be called, like, Big Chipmunk instead of Big Bear. But probably for better or for worse, I'm safe. So I guess it's a good thing. I was going to make a Dave Seville joke, but I feel like only five people would actually get it. So uh, I'm just <laughs> you didn't argue, man. That's all right. It's all right. It's probably for the best that I left it alone. Um, so that brings me to my two guests. Uh, you heard his voice already. You know him from Roto World, uh, guy who does great work there. A guy that I got to meet a couple of years ago in Canton at the Kings Classic. I think that was the first time we actually met in person. Uh, and uh, yeah, look, part of part of the fun of reading the Roto World blurbs is to figure out whether or not this guy wrote them. Uh, you know him as Roto Pat on Twitter. It's Pat Doherty, who is rocking a pretty sweet. For those of you watching the video clips, rocking a pretty sweet quarantine look right now. Yeah, well, before we started taping, I thanked Marcus for not conducting a pre-screening if I was still keeping up with personal grooming uh, during the quarantine because uh, I've not shaved, uh, I've not cut my hair in quite a My wife dumped like a load of opposition research on me yesterday, too, like a <laughs> secret thought she had about the beard. Um, so it might be going soon. But yeah, uh, I, I try to keep up with the trimming, but let me tell you, if you're new to beard life, it, it's a lot of work to stand. Yeah, as, as someone who has a struggle beard, like I can't. I, I mean, I, I it, it won't get very long, you know, if I wanted it to. So I, I sort of, you know, I'm yeah, also fortunate. Great, but thankfully, the mustache comes in super dark yeah, and thick, sure. and like, uh, so I've got something to work with at least. But uh, yeah, it's I don't have the world's best beard uh, by any stretch. Yeah, I've I've been blessed to not have to be you know, to not be forced to shave a lot. So that that's a part. <laughs> Um, my other guest, again, another guy that uh, I met in person for the first time a couple years ago at the Kings Classic in Canton. You know him from CBS Sports, uh, who is kind enough. I know he has a super busy schedule, and also he's here to keep me on task because after this, uh, I'm joining him for a mock draft as well. So uh, he is going to keep us streamlined and moving. It is Dave Richard. Dave, thanks for jumping in with us, man. How are you? Yeah, good luck with me keeping you on task because I'm sure you're gonna end up, especially with Pat around, we're going to end up on some pretty crazy tangents. I like that look. I, he reminds me of a young Kenny Loggins. I'm ready to go into the danger zone. Let's make it happen. I've heard oh. Kenny once or twice. I've heard Bob Seeger more. Uh, oh, Seeger's a good one. But, uh, I've been getting Seeger a lot. But Kenny, I can yeah. see Kenny too. Yeah, Seeger, Seeger is a good one. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, since we are going to go on to tangents, let's just start. Uh, let's jump into, jump into this, the, the NFC South. For those who have been listening, you know how this works. Uh, we go through the four teams in the division. We have some big questions about each. Then we do some superlatives, maybe bests and worsts. And then we have to have some fun at the end with the either ors uh, to wrap this thing up. So let's start in Atlanta with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, this is a team that is expected to be another offensive minded squad. They add a a notable piece in Todd Gurley. And so, Dave, I I will start with you. I mean, obviously, this is not the same player we were seeing early in his career with the Rams. What is your ceiling, your expected ceiling for Todd Gurley this year in Atlanta? Would it be weird if I told you that he could potentially get as many fantasy points this year as he got last year? And I'm not drafting him to do that, Marcus, but... The yardage was bad, but the touchdowns were insane. I think the touchdown potential for Todd Gurley 
in Atlanta is huge. And, and you just look at the track record of Atlanta running backs and their carries in the red zone last five years, 53, 43, 59, 76, 72. They're getting tons of carries in the red zone inside the 10. It's anywhere from 20 to 40. And Gurley's going to get all of them so long as he's healthy. This is one of the rare situations in the NFL where we've got a lead back and whoever that second guy is, if it's Edo Smith, Brian Hill, maybe they bring back Devontae Freeman, who knows? They're not going to get the same type of opportunities as Gurley because this is one thing Gurley can still do really well is pile in for a touchdown from inside of five yards. He's not going to have a lot of breakaway runs. That was part of the problem last year. His explosiveness has been zapped. But as far as just being a guy that can eat up a lot of carries and certainly score touchdowns, I think Gurley can do it. And I'm, I'm curious if they use him more as a pass catcher out of the backfield than the Rams did last year. And if they do that, then his PPR value goes up. And that's why I think everybody's kind of comfortable with him as a top 15 fantasy running back. Nobody really wants to cannonball into the pool and say, top 12, Gurley's back. Atlanta's awesome. Hooray. I don't think that's happening. And I think we're all still expecting Atlanta to throw the ball a ton. But he's probably going to be one of those running backs that you will settle for to be. um, Well, I don't think you would settle for him to be your number two running back. I think you'd be happy for him to be your number two running back. But if you were to decide to start your draft, with receiver receiver or receiver tight end or maybe you're one of those people that has to have a quarterback in round one whatever and you get to round three and Gurley's the best name on the board and he's your rb1 i think you'll settle for that and i think he's got potential to have a really nice year you know you, you hit on a thing dave that, that i have sort of tried to cling to when i look at Gurley, and that is the receptions and the, the targets total because mm-hmm. for me that was the biggest shock last year that the rams didn't use him as a pass catcher. I mean, I know they had, they had concerns about his knees. They had no concerns about his hands. Like that wasn't the issue. And so it just sort of, it, it, it boggled the mind that they just didn't throw him the football nearly as much. So I'm sort of hoping that the, the Falcons use him in that capacity. And that sort of restores some of that value that that was lost last year. Do you want a fun fact, Marcus, on Todd Gurley? Sure. And his receiving skills. Where do you think he ranked in sure. yard route run last year? And this is kind of a fun stat that people use. You know, they take the total number of receiving yards that a player has and they divide it by the amount of right. time to actually run a route to try and gauge it. And usually if you get if that number is two, two yards per route run, that's really good. His was not at two. It was below that. Where do you think he ranked among running backs last okay. year? As far as like not like running you know, back, you know, 20 catches, something like that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say because it was below below two. I'm gonna say it was like I'll, I'll put him say 30th. Let's go there. Okay. Well, if I don't know if there were 30 running backs, but if he, there were 30 <laughs> running backs, if it was 30th, that would be correct. He was dead last in your okay. route run at 0.51 yards per route run, and maybe that's part of the reason a why the Rams didn't want to use him, but also that stat could be contributed to the fact they didn't have as many opportunities. That number has a chance to go up in Atlanta. I don't know if it's gonna go up to two. But it might go up to one, and I think we'd all be happy for that based on what happened last year. All right. Um, to me, that like speaks to like the problem with Gurley. I think he's probably being drafted near his ceiling right now. It's about the RB13, RB14, but he has a very high floor, obviously. But he kind of like, you, you know, like the cliche, like shell of his former self, like that was Todd Gurley last year, unfortunately. And you know, even the Falcons are saying, you know, they have no idea what to expect from his health. And, you know, maybe the COVID offseason is a good thing for him. You know, no unnecessary mileage on his body. Um, but yeah, he's just – the health is – Todd Gurley's health is one of the biggest wild cards in, like, all of fantasy football this year. And, you know, the, the fact that the Rams 
you cut him, even though it was not like financially beneficial for them at all. Like they just gave up on Todd Gurley, the player. I mean, the red flags obviously didn't go away and are even more concerning and even more uncertain this year. And just, you know, just don't know what we're getting with Tiger. But, but you, you guys laid, I mean, the lack of competition behind it, he has such a high floor, but I think he's basically being drafted at his ceiling. It's wild. Um, Todd Gurley just turned 26 yesterday. I mean, we talked about it. I know. Like he was 10 years older. And like, I'm not saying nothing you guys have said is wrong. It's just wild. Uh, the way the way we talk about Todd Gurley, and he's just he's just 26 years old. It's um, I mean, he he. I've seen Todd Gurley play football in the city of St. Louis, and he's still somehow <laughs> only 26. Like that is mind right. blowing. That is mind blowing. Uh, okay, so we talk about pass catchers. Uh, so Pat, I'm going to ask you, who'd you rather, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley? I know it's a good problem to have, but you know, if you were if you were being forced to decide between one of these two guys in Atlanta, where are you going and why? I'm going Julio. I mean, would I rather, you know, have one of the best players in league history or Calvin Ridley? Uh, I mean, I love the Calvin Ridley hype. I understand. There are some pretty serious Chris Godwin wish casting going on with Calvin Ridley. I'm, I'm, um, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, but but it makes sense, obviously, because there's so many leftover targets. I mean, nose for the end zone. The first, I mean, he's a compiler. He's a touchdown scorer. He kind of like checks all the boxes for fantasy. It's just he's in a part of the board for receiver where there are like so many compelling names, you know, and like the the DK Metcalf, the DJ Shark, uh, kind of the Allen Robinson, the Juju Smith Schuster, the AJ Brown, Tyler Lockett, Keenan Allen, like such an intriguing part of the board. Um, where I think Julio is like still like safely in his tier, like of the top five receivers, where I think you could have even if you're expecting like a big Calvin Ridley step forward this year, which makes a lot of sense, is going to happen. I just think he's kind of like in a more uncertain a tier where he's not he's not as clearly tiered as Julio is, and I just would rather take the guaranteed top five wide receiver one. And like I don't feel I don't feel the need to lock in basically to Calvin Ridley as my wide receiver two. I don't know if that makes sense. It probably, it, uh, but uh, I just there's no. so much more variety of his part of the board than there is at Julio's. I feel like. No, I mean I think you're right, and I think I mean Dave. I feel like this is. You, Pat talked about the wish casting for, for Calvin Ridley. And that part is definitely there. I also think, you know, even though most right thinking people look at Julio Jones and we dismiss the whole, like he doesn't score touchdowns narrative. I do think there's a, at least a little bit of a lasting stain, right? A, a, a trace of a stain there because you just hear it so much that maybe, maybe it's led to us, you know, intellectually closing the gap between the two more than it than it possibly is i mean is that does yeah. that make sense that makes sense and and i think to answer your question it, it's really more about where you're drafting these guys like there are some people that are still going to be comfortable taking julio in round one i'm not one of those people i'm probably going to take a running back in round one it almost doesn't matter the case but ridley i mean his nfc adp is early round four from july 1st to today and I would love to have Calvin Ridley there. I think they could be pretty close in terms of fantasy points per game. But I, I, I think Julio is still safer, just like Pat said. There were 12 games they played together last year. Julio scored Calvin in seven of the 12. Julio averaged almost 18 PPR points per game in the first half of the season. And then he kind of went into a lull and Calvin took off. And then Calvin got hurt. And then Julio went crazy at the end of the year. And I think that was just Julio's way of kind of proving – and it was the Falcons improving overall toward the end of the year. It was it was Julio's way of saying, you know what? I'm still the alpha in this offense. Everybody knows it. 
the better Ridley does, the harder it's going to be for defenses to take Julio away. The one area where that won't happen is going to be in the red zone. And that's where I think that could help Calvin Ridley keep up this great touchdown production that he's been putting up over his last two years. The fact that he was basically even year over year statistically playing in fewer games in his second season than his first tells you how good Calvin Ridley is. And if you can get him later, whether you get Julio in round one or round two or not get Julio at all, I think he's a really good pick. I don't know if I buy him pulling what Chris Godwin did. Godwin was a top five receiver last year. I think Julio Jones is going to have to really be relegated to, you know, a, a late career Chris Carter in order for that to happen. <laughs> to turn into Randy Moss, basically. And I don't think that's happening. I think Julio still has a lot of juice and he deserves to go first on draft day. All right. Um, okay. So then Dave, let's stay with you. Like you talk about the red zone and, and you know, what happens down there. Are you buying the Hayden Hurst hype now that he's in Atlanta? You know, I, I want to, but I think it really depends on how much the Falcons buy into the Hayden Hurst type. And if they're, that, that's quite a, that's quite a triple H if there ever was one, right, Marcus? <laughs> um, look, Austin Hooper had seven and a half targets per game last year. The year before that, he had five and a half targets per game. How many is Hayden Hurst going to have? Is he really going to step in and seamlessly replace Austin Hooper? I have a hard time believing he's going to do exactly that. But if you if you were to spend an hour watching Hayden Hurst film, you would only need about 20 minutes because he didn't play that much. <laughs> and if you were to spend 20 minutes watching Hayden Hurst and 20 minutes watching Austin Hooper, you'd probably come away saying, well, they're about the same size and they're used about the same exact way. And Hayden Hurst is probably a little bit faster. So it's exciting to think about. But Hayden Hurst does not have as much experience as Austin Hooper. He's got a bat, He's got a track record of injuries. And I'm, I'm nervous about him becoming a big-time red zone threat to the point where he's getting seven or eight touchdowns or more than that on the season. Could he get six? That sounds Austin Hooper-ish. I think that that's something he could do. I don't know if the yardage is going to be there for him. As far as drafting him round nine, round ten, I'm not going to fault anybody for it. It's a tight end with lots of upside. There's plenty of those this year. He's the top of the list of those guys, if you're excluding Evan Ingram, who's going to go maybe a round earlier. Uh, I'm, I'm buying it to a degree. I see people out there that have Hurst as high as fifth, ranked as, as the fifth best tight end in fantasy. I'm not going anywhere near that with Hayden Hurst. I think they're, that's drafting him beyond his ceiling if you're drafting him. I, I, I like Hayden Hurst, but, man, that's yeah, that's a little spicy for me. Where do you have, him ranked? Where do you have him ranked? Uh, I mean, I've got him right around nine or ten. Yeah, me um, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, five – and look, I I think I think big things are coming for him. I think he's a guy that I liked when the Ravens drafted him. And I keep saying like the the Ravens hoard tight ends like people with you know like Clorox wipes, you know. Like, but I just I, I can't see. Wow, five man, that you sort of you sort of derailed my train of thought with that. That that kind of blew me away. <laughs> Crazy. Some people oh, are nuts for Hayden Hurst, man. Wow. All right. Good for them. Hurst is just weird oh. because I mean he's a 27 year old who's never had 350 yards in a season because he's only played two seasons. Uh, but you said like Dave, he projects. I mean very well. I mean he's very similar game to Austin Hooper. Uh, we know this offense. I mean, has a long history of funneling targets to tight ends. I mean it's pretty special talent in Tony Gonzalez and then someone in Austin Hooper who took a while to come along and develop. But I mean we know that Matt Ryan will target tight ends. It's just. This year, it's a very – it's unusually deep at tight end. And, you know, you have so many just young athletic studs that you can get so much later. I mean, so right now Hayden Hurst, he's going ahead uh, of Noah Fant. He's going ahead of 
Mike Jacecki. He's going ahead of you know T.J. Hawkinson, Jonu Smith, Eric Ebron, uh, and like and you know, even going further down the board. Someone we were going to talk about later, like Ian Thomas. There's so much like upside that you could get for just basically you know like a final round pick. And I just don't know if I see the need to splurge on Hayden Hurst as uh, as a tight end one, which is what he's being drafted as across the board and. Uh, I understand the breakout case. It makes perfect sense. But to me, I'm usually passing on Hayden Hurst and just getting cheaper upside even later in the draft. Sure. That's definitely one way to do it. I mean, the one nice thing about Hurst is unless you're one of these people that has him ranked fifth among tight ends, you're drafting him at such a point on in your league where if you if he if he stinks and you whiff on him. It's not that big of a deal. It's costing you a pick in round nine or round ten. Who yeah, cares? he's still at a, a very tenable part of the board. Despite being the you know very aggressive ADP, it's still a very tenable part of the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's go over to Carolina. And obviously Christian McCaffrey is is going off the board almost universally as as the first pick in a lot of drafts. I know there's also sort of the expectation that he it's going to be hard for him to duplicate what he did last year because it was just so phenomenal. But I mean, Pat, what are your, your expectations for Christian McCaffrey, even if it's not, you know, putting up video game numbers like he did last year? I mean, it's going to be pretty close. Well, he had almost 2,400 yards from scrimmage, but to me, he's almost kind of like the Julio of running backs where he's just got this ridiculously high floor. I was going to say Julio earlier, Julio is basically guaranteed for like 1,400 yards receiving. Like that's just insane. And if you can get that in the second round, uh, Big fan. But yeah, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, so the Christian McCaffrey, you know, there are a lot of variables. It's a new coach. It's a new play caller. It's a new quarterback. There's a new receiver in the offense, you know, somewhere else to funnel targets. But so I don't think he's going to go a thousand, a thousand again. I don't think he'll flirt with 2,500 yards from scrimmage again. But I mean, at this point, a, a bad Christian McCaffrey season is 2,000 yards from scrimmage. And if you can take a player at number one overall and you know they're going to get 2,000 yards from scrimmage, I mean, that's a pretty great baseline. And I think he, I think he'll get more than 2000 yards from scrimmage. And uh, just, yeah, I mean, Christian, there's really no reason to overthink Christian McCaffrey. He's, he's, you know, in a tier by himself uh, all alone at the top at any position. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I, yeah, I, I remember late last season just to stir up the pot because two years ago, I said, let's take Christian McCaffrey number one when everybody was sort of leaning Saquon. And I said that at the beginning to kind of just create conversation because I felt it would be a boring summer if we were all just like, Hey, it's Saquon. <laughs> Um, and so then like last December or January, I was sort of like, again, to kind of stir the pot, throwing Dalvin Cook into that mix. Uh, I kind of gave up on that dream pretty early because it's be- just become apparent that it's hard. I mean, it's hard to make a case for anybody really other than McCaffrey because of the way he's used and, and, and what what is sort of around him there in, in Carolina, um, which kind of brings me to Curtis Samuel, Dave. I mean, uh, he's a guy that I sort of liked last year and. It didn't work out the way I would have thought. I mean, he his catch rate, I know everybody sort of points to because it was pretty miserable. I also point to the fact that he had some pretty mediocre at best quarterbacks throwing to him. Um, does he get better in 2020? I know we all love DJ Moore. Does Curtis Samuel get better in 2020? So let's think about what this offense should look like. If, if we're basing it off of what LSU was in 2019, because that's the offensive coordinator that they're bringing into Carolina is the guy that ran that passing game. It means a lot of quick passing. They're going to ask their wide receivers to make plays after the catch. Very West Coasty, but it's going to be done at a quick pace and really rely on Teddy Bridgewater's strength, which is short area accuracy. And Samuel should be good for that. I almost wonder, I almost wonder, Marcus, if he was miscast last year in Carolina 
as a deep ball receiver because we thought he was a great deep ball receiver and he couldn't catch any deep balls. And a lot of that had to do with Kyle Allen just straight up missing him. But all of his touchdowns were in the red zone and all of DJ Moore's touchdowns that felt like were these deep touchdowns, the catch and run plays. And that's what I think they're going to try and do with all of their pass catchers, not just Samuel and Moore, not just Robbie, but also McCaffrey. And that's one of the reasons why I think McCaffrey is still a safe bet is because he's going to get a lot of the same type of receptions as, as these other pass catchers. Samuel's going to go the, la- the, the, the longest on draft day. You're going to see DJ go in the first four rounds, maybe even the first two rounds, depending on who you're drafting with and what the scoring is. Robbie Anderson, someone will take a flyer on him late. And then everybody, no one wants Curtis Samuel. They're all nervous about him. But as far as a, as a shifty receiver who can make a play after the catch, I mean, when they when they drafted him, they were saying he's he's a version kind of like Christian McCaffrey because he's a dual threat guy and he's got that shiftiness to his game. He could absolutely come away with 50 receptions this year and turn that into, you know, uh, maybe around 700 yards three or four touchdowns. I don't think he's going to break out and, you know, make everybody forget about DJ Moore. But if you're looking for a late round bench receiver, I think Curtis Samuel can do it. And uh, you probably would be happy with him on your bench in a deeper league. Yeah. I mean, Samuel, I, I he you, totally was probably miscast as the deep ball receiver. And he's just more of a slasher, yeah. like almost like Percy Harvin type. And yeah, he can be utilized probably more to, yeah, he's someone who kind of needs touches manufactured for him. And this is an offense that will manufacture those kind of touches. And he absolutely could be better. Yeah, I mean, I really thought, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, Dave, when he was drafted, he was, you know, kind of billed as this Swiss Army knife sort of guy that they could use as a runner and a receiver. Uh, And then they found out they had a really good runner slash receiver in Christian McCaffrey. And it's sort of like, hey, thanks. Thanks for coming, Curtis Samuel. We'll we'll figure out another (laughs) another place for you to sit right now. They had the Um, chance to trade him, Marcus. They had the chance to trade him and they didn't do it. Yeah. Two amazing compilers in DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, so it's very hard. But I also think it says something that they are still sort of committed to him too, right? I mean, like that, that they still want to find a role for I mean, maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe after this year they say, all right, this just isn't working, and they move on from him in some way. But the fact that they're still sort of committed to Curtis Samuel right now suggests that they want to find a role for him in this offense. So I guess if there's anything, that's, that's sort of encouraging. Um Pat, what's the ceiling for Teddy Bridgewater? Uh, you know, I know we all love the story. We all want to see him come back from injury and, and kind of build himself back into a starting quarterback. But I mean, for our fantasy purposes, us being selfish, uh, what, what is his ceiling? I mean, the ceiling is probably higher than all of us are willing to admit to ourselves. Like I wrote down still, I, I still think his realistic ceiling is matchup based streamer. But I mean, when you have Joe Brady and you, and you have this you know, stable of weapons, I mean, Maybe we should be thinking maybe he really could be a QB one. Like he is someone, you know, who is basically free in drafts that you can add as like a final pick. You can add with one of your first waiver wire moves and to see how the first few games develop, because I mean, there's a chance that he just blows expectations out of the water um, with his setup. Cause I mean, he is being set up for success, but I mean, realistically, I still say matchup based streamer, but one of the best matchup based streamers in fantasy football, because he's going to get good matchups. There's going to be shootouts because of how bad the Panthers defense is. And yeah, I mean, just he has such an explosive uh, group of weapons. So realistically, I'm not willing to go beyond matchup based streamer, but I, part of me wonders, yeah, if the whole industry, if we are not thinking big enough uh, with Teddy Bridgewater. He, uh, yeah. he, I think he could be like the Blake Bortles of 2020. You remember Bortles big year? where like had so many garbage time points. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> the Eli Manning special. There it is. 
perfect. I, I, I think that Teddy could do that. I, this, I don't see Carolina being like even a seven and nine team. I think their defense is just too young and raw to to really keep them in games. And it just means a lot of passing. And I just really believe that this quick passing scheme they're going to do will benefit Bridgewater. I think he's a great fit for it. High completion rate, probably not exactly a, uh, a, a high depth of throw guy, but certainly with the receivers that he has, and we outlined Samuel and you know what DJ Moore is. And Robbie Anderson's another guy that really um, didn't pop off when he had opportunities. He was beating guys deep downfield and was overthrown and whatnot in New York. He's another factor that can help Teddy Bridgewater. Would it surprise me if he ended the year with 4,000 passing yards and 27 touchdowns? That's kind of where Aaron Rodgers has been the past couple of years, and Rodgers finished nicely as a fantasy quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm obviously not going to draft Teddy Bridgewater uh, (laughs) for kinds of numbers, but he's yet another quarterback that you can wait on on draft day. You can pair him with another late-round guy from Roethlisberger to Daniel Jones to Jared Goff to Cam Newton. You get Teddy literally with your third-to-last pick if you want him. And uh, and you just you play the matchups, and I believe he's got a pretty good matchup week one that you could take advantage of. So yeah. this 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 is definitely a, a chance for Teddy Bridgewater to uh, to come through for fantasy managers who are value shopping. All right, uh, let's let's switch over to the Saints now. And I mean, Dave, you mentioned that you tend to just go running back in the first round, so this feels like this is a good question for you. How high is too high for Michael Thomas in a draft? If it's non PPR, I don't even think he's really worth a first round pick you can take him at the swing if you want um but i i I think his best asset is the volume and the high catch rate the efficiency um and and that's really about it like he's a good he's a very good receiver i don't mean to talk poorly about him but i know that the wide receiver position is insanely deep this year and i want to be able to cash in on some value there and not spend that first round pick on a wide receiver when I can get a running back, that's the position that's the thinnest this year. So I'm playing the supply and demand game with my first round choice. And that's why Michael Thomas won't be my pick in most leagues in the first round. But there's an exception in full PPR because of what I just laid out, the fact that he catches so many passes. And I mean, you can set your watch to 100 receptions this year. To me, I I would take him seventh. And one guy I love this year is Miles Sanders. I think he's got a chance for a monster year. I can't quite pull the trigger on Sanders over Michael Thomas because I think Michael Thomas is just safer to get 100 catches, 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns, something like that. And I think Michael or Miles Sanders' ceiling is is well, I mean his ceiling is really high, but a projection that you could buy into for Sanders is right around there with fewer receptions. So Thomas to me settles in at seven in full PPR. That makes me feel better because uh, Jake Seeley, I'm in your flex leagues, uh, and I took <laughs> I took Michael Thomas at eighth. I mean, it went it went seven running backs, and then I, I was on the board at eight, and Michael Thomas was there, and I was like, all right, I guess I will. Um, safe, right? Yeah. Like he's 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 he is absolutely the safe play. If you're looking at yeah. the running backs in round one, and you go, well, I don't know about Clyde edwards alaire and Miles Sanders. You know, the Eagles love the RBBC. That narrative is played out already. And, you don't love Mixon or Drake or Eckler or whatever. He's the safe play. He's a, he's he's. It's not a bad way to start your team, Marcus. That's a good bet. By, by the way, I I was very much on the. I'm worried that the Eagles are going to bring somebody else in for Miles Sanders. But the the for further sure. along we get into this thing, and that they is. haven't made a move, um, 
makes me feel it makes me feel better about it. Like, you know, like a month ago, I was still on on this thing that, you know, the, the Eagles are going to sign somebody. They're going to bring in like Devontae Freeman. Or they're going to wreck our lives. But here we are in early August and nothing has happened yet. So, you know, and look, this is like a horror movie, right? When you get comfortable, that's when the jump scare comes in. So, like, just as I get comfortable enough to draft Miles Sanders early, that's when, you know, Doug Peterson makes a move. And yeah. the, the running back that I was worried about them getting signed in Seattle. I think we're in yeah. the I'll okay, say this real go. quick on Michael Thomas. I mean, full PPR, I mean, I wouldn't do this, but I think you can make a genuine argument for him as high as number three overall behind CMC and Saquon Barkley because kind of like Christian McCaffrey, like this is not like a normal floor. Like he is not like a normal compiler. He is not like a normal PP. Like his floor at this point is essentially 120 catches. And like, like that just doesn't happen. And like, if you can basically bank 120 catches in a point per reception league, I mean, that is something you should feel pretty great about. And, you know, if you, if you're worried like Zeke Elliott is losing explosiveness, if you're worried like Dalvin cook can't stay healthy fully for 16 games, uh, like I wouldn't laugh at anyone taking Michael Thomas and number three overall in PPR. No, I've seen it plenty. Um, I've seen it plenty this, this offseason. Okay, so then you talk about this floor being 120. Emmanuel Sanders is now a saint, Pat. I mean, how does he fit into this? Does I can't say he really hurts Michael Thomas a whole lot, but he's got to take from somebody. I mean, where, where does he slot in this whole offense? I guess maybe he just doesn't really take from somewhere and they just can't really get like a great role from me in an offense that, you know, hasn't really utilized even like a number two receiver. And it's like such a narrow offense with Michael Thomas and Kamara and Jared Cook. And I think if anything, it'll probably hurt Jared Cook the most, but it's just not, you know, they don't need to force the issue with Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, They've got two of the biggest, you know, one of the best receivers, one of the biggest big play threats as a pass catching running back and Alvin Kamara you know, a huge playmaker up the seam and Jared Cook. I do think it hurts Jared Cook's volume, but, you know, Manuel too, like doing extraordinary things for his age, but you know, injuries are becoming a concern. Like came back like shockingly quickly from the torn Achilles, you know, then played a lot of last year, like banged up and wasn't quite his normal self. And I don't think he hurts Michael Thomas or probably even Alvin Kamara. I do think he, he hurts anyone. It's definitely Jared Cook. And them kind of fighting for those third looks. Um, yeah, I don't have great fantasy expectations for Mangus Sanders, despite being like basically like a straight up warrior, like someone his age to still be as good as he is and the injuries he's played through. But yeah, low fantasy expectations. And I, I don't think a drain on Michael Thomas. Yeah, I mean, I think Michael Thomas is going to get his. I think that's I think I think that's the, the thing. And, and the question is what what the Sanders get. And I think you're right. Um, this is always the thing with Saints wide receivers. I mean, for all those years, you knew Drew Brees was going to be a top five, maybe even a top three quarterback. But you'd be hard pressed to draft a Saints receiver. You, there was Jimmy Graham. And then, you know, was it Devery Henderson? Was it? I mean, you could just take your pick. Right. You just never knew who he was going to be. I mean, he could, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders isn't totally miscast as like a Ted Ginn, like deep ball specialist. I mean, he's not, it's not traditionally been his role, but he can do that. And so like, he can still like be like maybe a role player, even down the field, even though we think of him as more like an underneath guy. Uh, yeah. It's just very uncertain of what his role will actually be. Emmanuel. He almost did it in the Super Bowl to win it for the 49ers. Yeah, exactly. Jimmy, man. Hey, 43rd best player in the NFL, though. Um, so. <laughs> uh, as a Niner fan, if he was 42nd <laughs> or 41st, would we have another championship? Like, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, Dave, I know this year, obviously, 
with COVID-19 and, and everybody trying to figure out roster construction and, and that sort of thing, uh, I feel like we've talked a lot more about, you know, the guys that were quote unquote handcuffs before having extra value. Latavius Murray is a guy that is not only a, a great handcuff to me, but is a guy that does actually have some standalone value. Does that value go up in a year where you just never know which player is going to get hit with this virus and might have to sit out. I feel like that that works in, in Murray's favor, I think, in a lot of drafts. Marcus, I, I'm, I'm doing a backup running back power rankings for CBS Sports. <laughs> like, I mean, this is where the content is going. You know, this is what everybody wants is a list of all the backup running backs. Uh, Latavius is third on the list behind Madison in Minnesota and Tony Pollard in Dallas because if he does get that opportunity, and we saw it last year – He's great. He's really great. And if I'm spending a first round pick on, on a running back who I'm expecting big things from, and there's a running back behind him who could do almost as well, I'm going to go and get that guy. And yeah, absolutely. Latavius Murray is that guy for people that draft Camara. Now, is he, is he a standalone guy in that you could use him as a flex during a bye week? Yeah, you probably could, but otherwise you're just, you're drafting him and you're crossing your fingers for Alvin Kamara to win Powerball or get lost in the French Quarter, something like that where he misses time. And then Latavius Murray ends up being uh, a, a big-time player for the Saints. I, I don't necessarily see that happening. I think as long as Kamara is healthy, you're not going to see Latavius Murray have big numbers. But when he's not, Latavius Murray is going to be a thing again for fantasy. I think he's more for people who want to handcuff Kamara rather than, um, you know, it's round nine and I'm looking for – you know, a sleeper running back. I'm going to go with Tay Murray. I don't think that's the that's the move. Nothing, nothing like uh, having too many hurricanes at Pat O'Brien's on a Saturday night. To, uh, <laughs> to okay, I thought I was the only one. That to wreck your Sunday. Oh man. Um, let's get to the Buccaneers too, because I this is one. I'm going to start with you, Pat, but I want I want to get your thoughts too, Dave, on this one. Choose your fighter, Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn. This has been this has been the the argument that has launched a thousand columns. I feel like this offseason. Like the day after the draft, I was Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm like a third round pick. You know, Ronald Jones does not seem like a good fit for Tom Brady to me. Like, I don't think Tom Brady will tolerate, you know, Ronald Jones's mistakes. Tom Brady's not going to tolerate Ronald Jones whiffing and pass protection. But basically since then, like everything has gone wrong for Keyshawn Vaughn. And basically you know, a lot of rookies who aren't like, you know, clear day one starters, like first, second round picks where – you know, zero live reps of any kind. You know, it doesn't matter like how fundamentally sound a player are. To have zero live reps of any kind is Keyshawn Vaughn is set back there. And, you know, all the coach speak has been about Ronald Jones. All like the media, like scuttlebutt has been about Ronald Jones. And, you know, it wasn't an amazing year for Ronald Jones last year, but he was certainly you know, far, far better than he was at a rookie. There is some playmaking ability there. I, I do worry like the second that like Ronald Jones gives up a sack, like he's pulled off the field forever. Um, but it's it's going to be a tough year. I mean, Ronald Keyshawn, this how do you how does he implement himself in the offense? Basically, it's just a very tough summer for Keyshawn Vaughn, and I think that the the tea leaves are reading Ronald Jones. And I thought I would be in April. I thought I'd be coming on podcasts in August and stumping for Keyshawn Vaughn. But that's just not the case anymore. I'm just glad you're not stomping for Lashawn McCoy because then I'd have to <laughs> you. Um, look, I. I, I I fell to, into the same trap that Pat did. I thought Vaughn was the more interesting guy, but I also remember we did weeks and weeks of studying these running backs before the draft, uh, and we talked about Keyshawn Vaughn for maybe thirty seconds. 
And at the senior bowl, even Vaughn admitted that, yeah, when I get to the NFL, I'm probably going to have to share. And that's just the way it is. And he, he strikes me as a guy who's a jack of all trades, master of none. On my Twitter page, at Dave Richard, pinned to the top is a story I did on Ronald Jones and what he's done this offseason. I talked to his trainer. It's a guy named Luke Neal, trains Ronald Jones out in Arizona. I got answers uh, for what happened to Ronald Jones' rookie year and his second year and what's expected this year, what he worked on this offseason. Pat brought up the pass protection. He has worked on pass protection every day this offseason, sometimes twice a day, watching film and then implementing it on a practice field with the trainer. He's put on more weight. Last offseason, he put on 12 pounds of muscles. Clearly, it didn't affect him because he had a lot of great highlight runs. Some of them were called back by penalties, but he had some great offensive moments last year, total over 1,000 yards on just over 200 touches in Tampa Bay, and now he's added seven more pounds of muscle. He's over 220 pounds. That's typically the weight that Bruce Arians likes his running backs at. You go back and you look at David Johnson and Rashard Mendenhall. These were big boys, and you're going to see video of Ronald Jones in training camp. He's a big boy now, but best of all, and this is really what's what has sold me on Ronald Jones, guys. He, he's got his football IQ up. He's mentally prepared. He's focused, and he, he's determined to prove that everything that happened to him as rookie year when he wasn't prepared is is just a flash and that he's going to go out now and be the best, you know, I don't know about bell cow, but the best running back he can be where he can at least work the running downs for Tampa Bay. I think he can handle short yardage and goal line for Tampa Bay. All six of his touchdowns last year came from between four and eight yards. So nothing right at the goal line, but nothing too far away. So we basically had to do something every play, follow a block, make a move, barrel through a defender to score the touchdown. This is where he's at right now, is, is ready to take that next step. And I see him as a number two running back in fantasy. I know people are going to look at what he did last year. They're going to focus on him getting benched for the bad pass pro. They're going to look at LaShawn McCoy, and they're going to think, oh, LaShawn McCoy, he still could be good. He was inactive. For the he was terrible in the second half of last year. And I think, honestly, I think LaShawn McCoy was signed, A, because Keyshawn Vaughn went on the COVID list, and we just don't know how long he's going to be out for. And B, I think he's there to push Dario Gumbawale. So maybe that hurts Ronald Jones as far as being a pass catcher in this offense, being a three-down guy and being that bell cow. Maybe that doesn't happen. But if I had to put numbers on Ronald Jones this year, I would take the over on 1,200 total yards and seven wow. touchdowns. And you can get this guy in round six, sometimes round seven. People look at me like I'm crazy for saying that, but I really believe he can take that next step. Not a huge step. He's not going to make that leap and, and be a first-round pick in fantasy next year. But he can be someone that gives you great value on draft day. Ronald Jones, read the article that I've got on Twitter. It's on CBS Sports, but you can find the link on Twitter. And then go and draft him after 60th overall on draft day. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, there are two things you said in there that really that I think are really key. One, uh, the pass protection thing obviously is a big deal. The other thing is just sort of the, the mental aspect of the game because i think that was the big knock on him For during sure. his rookie year that he just wasn't his head wasn't there and that was the reason we didn't see a lot of him and we did see him he just looked sort of lost out there so if he gets those two together, yeah exactly so get those, we'll two together. About those things in the story i won't spoil it for you but there are some shocking revelations yeah, I mean, but I think that that goes a long way to where I mean, you know, and then the fact that he is, you know, hashtag BSOHL because he's put on all this, you know, all this weight and stuff. Um, that's just that's just an added bonus. Um, Pat, with Tom Brady, I want to ask you, 
not not can he be a top 10 fantasy quarterback at the end of the year? Because I think we all know that, yeah, sure, there's a universe in which that can happen. Uh, will he actually be a top 10 fantasy quarterback at the end of the season? I'm afraid to say that he will be. Uh, I think he's going to be the QB <laughs> eight or nine. Why afraid? Yeah, <laughs> because uh, you know, I, you know, the eye test for Tom Brady last year was very unforgiving. Um, but you know, the advanced metrics, PFF still rated him as a pretty decent deep ball passer. Uh, it was kind of the chicken or the egg: is this Tom Brady's arm or is it his supporting cast? And pretty compelling evidence it was his supporting cast. And you know, even if he does, even if he is noodled at this point, I mean, we saw Peyton Manning have great success in his noodle arm phase for a few years in Denver, and it was just such a titanic supporting cast. I mean, he he's you know this is the best supporting cast of his career since 2007. I mean, pretty much without debate. And I think he's smart enough. I don't. I mean, he was physically diminished last year, but I didn't think he was like end of his rope physically diminished. That. I think he is going to figure out, and I think, yeah, to me, QB 8 or 9 feels right for Tom Brady. Go back and look at his very last game, Pat. There were two- his last pass. I remember his last pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. <laughs> in that game, he uncorked two passes that traveled over 50 yards in the air. So don't tell me that he's he's got a noodle arm. You're right. He doesn't have one. Um, and he's actually his me- his metrics weren't great. The PFF metrics that you're talking about, and not just deep ball stuff, but just regular stuff, they weren't great, but they were better than Jameis Winston's. So they managed to upgrade from like the worst of the worst to not quite the worst of the worst by going from Winston to Brady. But they also got a really good decision maker in Tom Brady, and just the weapons that he has around him. Uh, I don't see how he doesn't finish as a top ten quarterback. I do think what's going to be different with Brady versus Jameis, and I know this is this is going to come off as obvious, is the fact that he's going to be more efficient. Um, and so that, to me, makes me wonder whether or not he's going to have the same number of passing yards. I mean, Jameis had a ton of passing yards because Jameis had to have a ton of passing yards because he put his team behind the eight ball so mm-hmm. often. Um, I feel like with Brady, that isn't going to happen. They won't be playing from behind as much because, you know, he's he's not going to put his defense in bad situations where they're giving up a ton of points and then he's got to, you know, throw furiously in the second half. So, um, you know, maybe the, the, the yardage numbers are diminished, but also that intercept. If Tom Brady throws 30 interceptions this year, um, you know, that, then we got a story. So uh, <laughs> it's weird. They, just basically, it. they practically play different positions. Like Tom Brady's <laughs> a 43 year old, but like he plays the more like new school modern game. Whereas Jameis is like, you know, like true old school Brett Favre. Gonna like he is it. just going to think big and <laughs> right. yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be different, but there's still going to be fantasy points. Yeah. Um, so Dave, how much interest have you had in drafting Gronk? If you've had any interest at all in drafting Gronk this year, I have had interest in drafting Gronk and I'm drafting him right in that same range that we talked about with Hayden Hurst, that round nine, round 10 area. If I need a tight end um, and it, it's, it's getting late in the draft, I know I need to start one. Well, here's Gronk. And I, I don't think Gronk is going to be uh, over a thousand yards like he was once upon a time in new England, but I could see him being a big problem for defenses in the red zone. I mean, let's put our three heads together. If we're playing Tampa Bay, which guy are we going to try and take away first when the Bucks get in the red zone against us, is it going to be Gronk? Maybe. Is it going to be Chris Godwin? Probably not. Is it going to be Mike Evans? I think that's who it's going to end up being. And even if we decide to go with Gronk, well, that means Mike Evans is going to get the football, and that's good for Mike Evans. But I don't think that's going to happen nearly as often. I think Gronk could end up being one of these tight ends that we've seen before that doesn't get a lot of catches, doesn't get a lot of yards, but does get a lot of touchdowns. I could see him scoring eight times in 14 games and being – 
You know, he, he's got the chemistry already with Tom Brady. He might have better chemistry with Brady than Brady will have with Evans and Godwin through the first three weeks of the season. And so, of course, that you've got to expect him to lean on Gronk there. And I suspect Gronk will be more of a receiver than a blocker. That would help him as well. Again, top 10 type of fantasy tight end. I'm more excited to draft him than Hurst. I'm more excited to draft him than Austin Hooper. But I'm not as excited to draft him as like Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby. I'm taking those guys ahead of him. But when it's round nine and round 10 and I need a tight end, I'm, I'm going to go for Gronk. Yeah. I mean, you talk about that, that red zone roulette. If you're, if you're a defensive coordinator, um, it just feels like you can pick any one of those guys and your answer is going to be wrong because there are so many <laughs> options for Tom Brady to throw the ball to. Um, I mean, yeah, I look, Pat, I know Gronk is not going to be the same Gronk as they've mentioned that, that we saw before, but look, man, we lived in a world where last year, Jason Witten was the tight end 11 and he just basically <laughs> caught the ball and fell down. So, I mean, I guess there, there is hope that Gronk can be a legit tight end one this year. Right. Well, and- I feel like our fine, our most recent memories of Gronk are kind of faulty too, because like everyone kind of pictured him as like, you know, really like heavily declined. But like even like Zombie Gronk averaged over 15 yards per catch in 2018. It was still a very dangerous red zone threat, and he's still I think what well, he's only 31. Like I don't usually necessarily believe in like the year off will make someone healthier and like more you know more ready to play but talk about someone who had so much mileage on his body so many injuries and yeah I would just not be surprised to see close to vintage Gronk I mean I agree with Dave like I'm still not putting him in like that top tier but I'm like, I'm very comfortable with Gronk as like the tight end like seven to nine range Gronk, Gronk <laughs> lived his best life in the year off right I mean he he, he ever he's on, on reality shows he was wrestling like we should all have a gap year uh like Gronk if we could um all right, let's do some superlatives for the NFC South. Uh, put this out to both of you. I guess, Pat, you can start first. Uh, who will be the top-scoring fantasy wide receiver out of the NFC South in a division that is loaded with top-level elite fantasy wide receivers? It is. I mean, every team has, like, a true blue wide receiver one, but I'm not going to overthink it. It's going to be Michael Thomas. Like, it, it just – his floor is so, I mean, maybe Julio Jones still is the highest ceiling. I mean, DJ Moore, maybe the wild card, but like Michael Thomas's floors is kind of the separator. And I feel like you have to bet on that floor. You, you agree, Dave, or are you going to go, go go off, off board here? I think it's a no brainer that it's Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, he's, got, <laughs> it's, it's Michael Thomas. He's, he's yeah. gotta be it. Um, everybody should be comfortable drafting him as the first receiver off the board. All right. Um, so then maybe something that's a little murkier, uh, the top scoring fantasy tight end out of the NFC South. Uh, Dave, you can you can start this one. OK, so what are my choices are Cook, Gronk, Hayden Hurst and Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm going to go with Gronk and I'm not joking okay. around. I really think that the touchdowns can carry him to the best numbers in the division. Yeah, Gronk's going to get the most chances to finish at the rim, so to speak. Uh, I believe it will be Gronk. All right. Uh, Pat, who are the biggest – who's the biggest sleeper or sleepers you think coming out of the NFC South this year? This one I had kind of a hard time with, and I kind of settled on just whomever Devontae Freeman – or not Devontae, whoever Todd Gurley's uh, backup is. Because um, mm-hmm. just like I said, <clears throat> the true – one of the biggest wild cards is Todd Gurley's health and you know, no attention whatsoever being paid to his backups. But uh, I don't know, maybe Edo Smith is the biggest uh, sleeper in the NFC South. <laughs> For, uh, it's a situation you're just getting no attention whatsoever, and I feel like it should probably right. be getting attention. Guys, we've gone an hour into this podcast, and we haven't talked about Matt Ryan once. 
I feel like because I feel like Matt Ryan is just like I mean literally he's he's just so steady. It's just like what is there to talk about, right? He's a Honda Civic. Like, hey man, uh, it's not necessarily spectacular, but it gets you to where you need to go. Like, I, you know, I'll say this about Matt Ryan: I, he was not moving well in the second half of the season last year. He tried to play through a high ankle sprain, and he yeah. looked like it. Like he looked old and slow in the second half of the season. But I agree with that. I mean, he's going to bounce back, and he's going to be Matt Ryan. So if I can't go with him as a sleeper this year. Um, I'll, I'll bang the drum a little bit for Ian Thomas and the fact that he's yet another guy that is it's a good athletic pass catcher that can make a play after the catch. And that that's what they're looking for in Carolina. And the door has been kicked down for him to be the lead guy there. And again, if you're streaming tight ends, that's someone, I don't know if it's as good of a matchup now as, as it once <laughs> figured to be, but Ian Thomas is someone that you could potentially begin the season with as your starting tight end. All right. Uh, Dave, the most overdrafted player or players in the NFC South. Oh, um, I, I've seen DJ Moore go in the second round in half PPR leagues and non PPR leagues, and I'm, I'm not buying that at all. I think he is a true PPR only special type of guy. I don't know if we can count on him to be a top 12 type of an option in non PPR. Um, so I've seen him get overdrafted. Um, I mean, Hayden Hurst is the you know, number five tight end. <laughs> I see a lot of crazy stuff. I do a lot of drafts. People are, I, I'm in a draft right now where Nicole Hardman went in the first round and Steven Sims went in the second round to the same guy. And he wasn't joking around. You know, there's special teams yardage that, that there's a bonus. Uh, for, but I mean, still, that's whack. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think DJ Moore is, 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 if it's not a PPR league, I think that that's a little bit of a stretch. All right. Uh, Pat, who you got? I don't have a great answer for this. Like, I want to say Calvin Ridley, but I'm not like a, I'm not like fading Calvin Ridley or anything, but he's just kind of in that wide receiver, like 14 to 16 range. And, you know, again, there's a lot of targets read up, but this is someone who's never had a 900 yard season. It's only been two years, but, you know, he's going like 20 spots ahead of like Robert Woods. When I feel like you're drafting Robert Ridley, when you're drafting Calvin Ridley, you're kind of hoping for like, a vintage Rams Robert Woods season, and there's just you know, a lot of there's so much upside in that middle tier receiver. Like in again the DK Metcalf, even like the Terry McLaurin, Cortland Sutton, DJ Shark. That I just I don't feel like you need to force Calvin Ridley into the top forty, top fifty picks. And but I understand the case for him, so I'm not going to come out here and say Calvin Ridley is a huge overdraft. But basically, that's just not an ADP where I will be selecting Calvin Ridley. Yeah. You know, I feel like for the most part, I think maybe because there are so many legitimate fantasy prospects in this division that like we, we sort of have these guys pegged mostly right. Um, you know, like I don't I don't think there are any wild swings I mean, you have team guys on other teams that you just don't know what the outcome, the projection is going to be. I think, we've, you know, like even Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Right. Like I've, I've seen in a mock draft. I've seen him go one overall. Like not, and I'm not talking like a dynasty rookie draft, like just a regular league him going one wow. overall. Um, but I feel like in this division, we, we sort of have everything right. So maybe there aren't, maybe they just aren't overdrafted guys. It's a lot of veteran laden teams that where we have the book on most of them. So maybe that's why I picked Calvin Ridley. He's just one of the only guys we don't have like the full book on maybe yet. Right. Um, all right. Finish up with some either ors. Uh, you guys just give me a a quick answer. You don't have to go into any huge in-depth, uh, analysis. Uh, and then you can look whatever criteria you want to, select between these two is fine by me so uh pat we'll start with you jared cook or robbie anderson 
I mean, I'd, in a vacuum, I'd rather have Jared Cook on my fantasy team, but I guess at their respective ADPs, I'd rather gamble on Robbie Anderson. It's just such a deep year at tight end that I don't feel the need uh, to pay up for Jared Cook as like a top 10 tight end. Yeah, agreed, Anderson. Okay. Uh, all right, so Dave, O.J. Howard or Ian Thomas? Well, one of these guys is, is going to see limited snaps in theory, and that's O.J. Howard <laughs> for however long Gronk is healthy for. Um, he'll, he'll still play a decent amount for a number two tight end. I think that's going to be their, their best formation is with two tight ends. They're one of several teams that are going to do that, by the way. Um, but I, I'll go in the other direction and say Ian Thomas has more upside. All right. Uh, Pat, you agree? Yeah, I have to say Ian Thomas. I mean, I wish OJ Howard would get traded to make this more compelling. But uh, <laughs> Ian Thomas, you know, exci- Ian Thomas is an exciting player. So is OJ Howard, but just not in the right situation. There's still time, right. Pat. There's still time. There is. Still there is. Uh, Pat, Han Solo or Indiana Jones? I'm going to go Indiana Jones just because I think uh, I found Harrison Ford, frankly, to be distracting as Han Solo in the <laughs> new Star Wars movies were like uh, – he was almost like petrified Harrison Ford. And uh, like, it was just very clear, like this is actor Harrison Ford playing Han Solo. So I'm going to lean towards Indiana Jones for that reason. All right. uh, I'm taking Han Solo all the way. Uh, Han Solo was kind of a shady character. Indiana Jones was a professor nerd that did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the shady character, Han Solo. All right. Uh, I mean, fun, I fun fact, I Fun fact, I always like to mention that, you know, the, the famous scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy takes out the gun and shoots the guy with the sword. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys know, he did that because he was actually feeling ill that day. I think he had like, might have had some dysentery even. And they had done the scene multiple times where he actually used the whip. And finally, because he just wanted to be done with the scene and go, you know, to the loo, uh, he pulled out the gun. He shot the guy, George Lucas and Spielberg. Spielberg was like, hey, that's great. Let's keep it in. And uh Movie magic. There it yeah, is. iconic, <laughs> an iconic ad lib. Right there, it is. Uh, Dave, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. You cannot go wrong, but pan- I once won a pancake eating contest um, in high school, so near and dear to my heart, uh, I'll go with the pancakes. <laughs> uh, do you guys have a, a preferred topping for your pancakes and or waffles? Just basic syrup or anything else, or what? I think it's syrup. Uh, I like to have breaded chicken and hot sauce and honey on my waffles. That's true. Oh, you, you're a man after my heart. <laughs> it is hard to go wrong. And my cardiologist isn't a big fan. <laughs> He's uh, also a man after your heart, but in a very different way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have uh, my wallet, Marcus. Well, that, that also. Um, guys, I, I've appreciated the conversation. I have enjoyed it. I know that folks who are listening to this podcast generally know where to find your stuff, but they, in case there are people out there who don't know who you are or where your work is located, where can they find your stuff? Well, you can start on Twitter at Dave Richard mentioned it earlier with the Ronald Jones story. I'm proud of it. And I think it'll help you make a decision on Ronald Jones this year, twitter.com slash Dave Richard and all my content from rankings to tiers to draft day strategies is on cbssports.com. And we're always streaming fantasy football live every day during the football season on our 24-7 home for uh, sports news and analysis, CBS Sports HQ, which is free on any device that gets Wi-Fi. And uh, you and I will talk to each other in about less than an hour, right? Because uh, we're doing a, a right. streaming. We're going to do a, <laughs> a, mock, a mock salary draft, I've been uh-huh. what it's called. 
Yeah. So, uh, so we will, uh, we will continue this conversation a little bit later. Uh, same with you, Pat. I know folks generally know where to find you, but for those who maybe are uninitiated, where, where can they locate you? Yeah. The, the Roto world machine, R O T O world.com. And then uh, on Twitter at Roto Pat, which I go back and forth on not liking the handle, but, uh, R-O-T-O Pat on Twitter. My real name was too many characters, Patrick Darty, so I had to shorten it, and we settled on Roto Pat. But uh, that's where I am on the Twitter machines. Honestly, if Roto Pat goes away, I don't know what I would do with myself because it, it is, is weird. Uh, I become kind of like Pele or like uh, like a Brazilian, <laughs> any Brazilian soccer player. Which Neymar, like Roto Pat, yeah, yeah I become a one name moniker type person. Like, what you say, Dave? Outside of the industry, do people call you Roto Pat? Uh, not really. I mean, as a joke, but uh, yeah, I mean, my wife is not calling me Roto Pat. Um, oh, so that's what I was going to ask. Does the wife call you Roto Pat? <laughs> she does not. Yeah. So but yeah, in the oh. industry, it's a quite pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. I think before I knew your last name, I just knew you as Roto Pat. So. <laughs> well, Evan Silva, you know, my mentor, Evan Silva, has never called me anything other than Roto Pat. So yeah, it was hard not to stick after that. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate you jumping in with me. It was a whole lot of fun. And for the rest of you out there, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you listening and downloading and watching the videos as always. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, a clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. Take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we'll see you on Thursday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.